Father, I thank you for the power of your word and the word of your power. I thank you, God, for revelation knowledge this morning. I thank you, Lord, that as your word infiltrates our hearts, it infiltrates with power, with authority, and it's life-changing. We put our trust in your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, we've been talking about repositioning, repositioning. And I've given you four dimensions of repositioning. And today we're going to be talking about the fifth one, which is repositioning your appetites. Repositioning your appetites. I want to start off by saying whenever you are repositioned, it requires repentance. Because you see, repositioning yourself when it comes to these things requires you to change your mind concerning that particular thing and to get into a new position. And if you look at the biblical definition of repentance, that's what repentance is. It involves a change of mind which results in a U-turn. Amen? Please say to the person next to you, it's time to make a U-turn. It's time to make a U-turn in various areas of our lives. And very often what happens is a lot of us are in denial concerning our current reality. A lot of us are in denial concerning where we are. A lot of us struggle to articulate where we've gone wrong. That's called confession. The word confess in scripture literally means to agree with. It literally means to say the same as. So if we say confess your sin... We say, say the same as what the Holy Spirit is convicting you of. So if the Holy Spirit says, I think there's this area we just need to tweak in your life. Confession is, yes, I agree. I'm saying the same as. Amen? And I want you to see this power of repentance in the life of David. I find it interesting. In Psalm 32, verse 3 to 5, he says, When I kept silent... In other words, when I did not confess. Confession is verbal. It's not just something you think. There's no repentance without confession. Confession is the acknowledgement of something. And many of us are in denial. And look at the consequences of being in denial. Denial doesn't belong in this room. Denial is a long river north of Africa. Denial does not belong here. He says, when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. When I did not confess, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. When I did not confess of my bitterness, when I did not confess of my pride, when I did not confess of my arrogance, when I did not confess of my selfishness, The consequences, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy on me. How many of you have felt guilty in your life about something? The Bible tells us there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The Bible tells me that he has cleansed me, not just of my sin, but from a guilty conscience. A guilty conscience conscience is so destructive. How many of you know that guilt attracts punishment? 
So whenever you're feeling guilty and you're weighed down with the burden of guilt in your life, there's a powerful hymn that will talk about that. When you're weighed down by the burden of guilt in your life, guess what? You're always looking for punishment. And so sometimes you'll be in a very good marriage, but you'll keep looking for things in your spouse, signs that they don't like you. Why? You're looking for punishment. That, oh, I'm so blessed in this marriage, but I'm sure there's a catch. And your husband or your wife comes home and they're very friendly and they're warm and they're no issues, but you're like, oh, I know that you don't really love me that much. I know you love your work more than you love me. I know you love the kids more than me. You're looking for punishment because of the guilt you're carrying. Are you hearing me? There's a spiritual dynamic that happens when you're burdened with guilt. Now watch this. He says, for day and night, your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. What changed the situation? Then I acknowledged my sin to you. Confession. And did not cover up my iniquity. There are ways in which Christians cover up their iniquity. How many of you know that you can become religious to cover up your iniquity? There are a lot of people who become performers at church. I'll do this, I'll do this, I'll serve here, I'll serve there. But they never actually confessed and repented. It's like they're paying penance. It's like penance. You know penance. What they used to do back in the day, in the dark ages. Let me beat myself up so that somehow I will attain righteousness. Then I acknowledged my sin to you. Then I acknowledged my incorrect positioning and got into the right positioning in all these areas of positioning that we've been talking about. Right positioning in your marriage, right positioning in relation to the church, right positioning in all the areas that we've been covering. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave the guilt of my sin. God doesn't just forgive your sin. He forgives the guilt of your sin. He cleanses you from a guilty conscience. One of the reasons why a lot of people don't get involved in serving in church is guilt. There's a mindset that says, I'm just too bad. One of the words my wife had earlier on, she shared with me, was that God wants to do some restoration with some people this morning. That is restoring things in your life. Some of you, you served God faithfully and then things changed in your life and you went off course. You can reposition yourself. Some of you lost so many things in your life, even relationships, because of your own foolishness. God is about to restore that. God is in the restoration business. If you look at that word for salvation, soteria, sozo, it means to rescue out of to rescue from. God rescues us out of certain things and then he rescues us into certain things. The nature of that word sozo, it's not just talking about a spiritual salvation. It's not just the salvation of your spirit. It's the salvation also of your soul. Your mind, your will, your emotions, your intellect, your imagination. God is in the business of restoration and he's restoring. This morning, right now, he's restoring. Everything that the enemy has taken from you. How many of you know that the scripture tells us that the, the new covenant is better than the old? He takes away the first to establish the second. 
God is in the restoration business. And you can make a choice. You can make a choice. How many of you know that suffering either causes you to become bitter or better? You never stay the same after you've suffered. And some of you have gone through things in your lives right now. And you can choose. Am I going to become bitter about it? Or am I going to become better? And many of you in this room have become better. Amen? Amen. So we cannot talk about repositioning without talking about repentance. He says, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. So now this morning we're focusing on this issue of appetites. And as I share this with you, I'd like you to keep in mind what I've just shared. That I need to repent. I need to not cover up my iniquity. I need to be honest with God. Honest with brothers and sisters who I'm accountable to. And make right. So what we mean when we talk about appetite? An appetite is a craving. An appetite is a craving of your soul. An appetite is a longing and it's a desire. Not all appetites are bad. Not all appetites are bad. So what happens is that we have natural appetites that God has given us. For example, the desire for food. The need to eat something. Someone is sick when they've lost their appetite. Not so. How many of you have been sick recently and what do you say? You say, I've lost my appetite. One of my sons didn't, uh, wasn't feeling well yesterday. And we were, I was out with them and I said, guys, do you want some buri rolls? And he says, no. I don't. And I said, what do you want? And he says, I don't want anything. He had lost his appetite because he wasn't feeling well. So there are natural appetites that God has given us. And it's a problem when you don't have an appetite. You see, an appetite is a gift God gives us so that we're able, able to meet our needs. When you lose your appetite, there's no desire to go and find food to eat. Amen? And so you might get sick. So you have natural appetites that are from God, but then you also have artificial appetite. How many of you know that the appetite for nicotine, smoking a cigarette, is an artificial appetite? Little kids are not born with an appetite for nicotine. Little kids, when they're crying, they cry for their mommy's milk. They don't say, Mommy, just give me one. I just need a ciggy. Can I have a cigarette? They don't do that. That's an artificial appetite. And when we start distinguishing between natural appetite and artificial appetites, we get to understand that if I have learned certain behavior, I'm able to unlearn it. Because it was artificial. My question to you is, how many artificial appetites have you built up in your system? For what do you have an appetite? Is it a God-given natural appetite? Or is it an appetite that is artificial? Just think about it. Now here's an interesting thing about appetite. Have you noticed that some food is moorish? We say moorish. Have you noticed that sometimes when you're eating peanuts, you say, oh, these peanuts are moorish. And the more you eat them, the more you want. So there's a dynamic to the appetite that we have. Because very often, the more we find a need, 
met through that particular appetite, the more we need. That's why people on drugs, what happens? They take the light ones, and then afterwards they graduate, for want of a better word, to the harder stuff. Why? Because their need is no longer being met by the lighter ones. Are you following? So an appetite is a strong desire, it's an eagerness, or it's a longing for something. Someone once said, desire is an inward longing for something we do not have, but feel we need. And I shared with you, I think it was last week, that we are very, very bad, us human beings, we're very, very bad predictors of what will make us happy. Desire is an inward longing for something we do not have but feel we need. Hunger and thirst are appetites God gave humans to make us aware of a need. Hunger for God's word and his attributes are the spiritual appetite God gives Christians to make us aware of our spiritual needs. Let me put it this way. Have you noticed that a message can be preached? And one person can leave blessed, challenged, and their life has changed. Another person can say, I didn't get that. I felt that was a waste of time. Amen? Amen. What happened? My question to you is, do you have a strong appetite for the word of God? Everything that you see in the natural has its counterpart in the spirit realm. So you can taste with your natural senses. But how many of you that you can also taste with your spiritual senses? That's why the Bible says, oh, taste and see how good the Lord is. How many of you have tasted the goodness of God? Just raise your hand. How many of you know that the more of God's presence you experience in your life, the more you want? There's a link between your hunger for something, your appetite for something, and your consumption of that particular thing. The more you drink of the things of God, the more you desire the things of God. Think about it. When it comes to watching television, have you noticed that if you start at the beginning of a season and you're following a particular episode, you watch that episode, you're following a particular series, have you noticed that you almost get addicted to it? And it's like the more you have, the more you want. But how many of you have experienced a thing where you just decide, you know what, for a few months, I'm actually not going to watch TV. It's a waste of time. How do you feel after a few weeks? You kind of like other people are talking about that thing that was once your favorite series. There isn't really a strong desire to catch up and to find out what's going on. Why? A lot of the appetites we have are quiet. I feel that you've got a taste for certain things. You have a taste for certain things. Today I'm speaking to you about developing an appetite for the things of God. And I'm going to talk about other worldly appetites that we need to watch out for. There's certain things that don't taste that nice, but you've acquired a taste for them. How many of you here in this room like pup? Okay, I see lots of hands going up throughout. Does pup, if, if you have never tasted it before, and you just take some and you place it in your mouth, would it taste nice? Let's be honest, what's the taste? What does it taste like? It's pretty tasteless, isn't it? You acquired the taste. 
And now, it's like, you know, I can't, ooh, I have to have my pup. Oh no, this fancy stuff, these people are living at this hotel. No, 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 I just need my pup. Tastes are quiet. And you acquire a taste for heavenly things. You acquire a taste for the spirit realm and the spirit dynamic in your life. Have you noticed what happens when you begin to pray extended hours? What happens? You experience breakthrough. You experience another, another realm, another dynamic, and you're like, oh, I, I need more of this. I want more of you, God. And for some of you, you've lost a taste for that. Remember I said to you, you taste spiritually. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. It's not limited to the goodness of God. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is powerful. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is righteous. Oh, taste and see that the Lord's promises are sure. They're yes and amen to those who believe. What have you tasted of God? The more you taste, the more you want. And you acquire taste for these things that I'm calling spiritual things, things of God. And the more you taste, the more you want. And the more you want, the more you consume. Have you noticed that acquiring the taste for something, it's a bit like exercise, isn't it? It's a bit like, have you noticed people who jog? How many of you like jogging here? How many of you like running? Okay, wow, quite a lot of hands. We should start a running club. (laughs) Right? There was a guy in one of my workshops quite recently. We were asking questions like, what energizes you? What do you love doing? What makes a good day for you? And this guy's in his early 60s, and he says, you know what, for me, And I must say, I couldn't identify with this, but he says, for me, it's getting up early, going for a nice long run, being able to hear the birds. And when these guys talk long runs, these are guys who've done Iron Man and that kind of thing. Nice long run. Hearing the birds. Being able to just, he's quite a gentle guy, people person, but being able to shout at those cars and just say what I want when they don't drive properly. (laughs) I thought to myself, running. Jogging, a long jog, that's what makes his day. A bit like my wife. Often when I go for a, the odd occasion, from time to time, let me just say that. From time to time, when I go for my run, my wife will say to me, okay, my love, enjoy. I'm thinking to myself, my precious, you're just going by your default. I'm not you. Rather say, enjoy the pain, my love, for the hope set before you. But have you noticed that the more you run, it becomes moorish. The more you run, the fitter you get, the more you want to do it. And many people give up, many of us give up because we try. And before we've actually broken that threshold, this is too much. Why am I doing this? We're supposed to be in the grace zone. Why am I torturing myself? Because we don't push through. Amen? What am I saying? You acquire a taste for certain things. What do you want to love doing? What do you want to become passionate about? It's not about just praying, Lord, give me a hunger for your word. Lord, give me a hunger for your word. And all of a sudden, you're now hungry for the word. No, it's an acquired taste. If all you read, let's say when you're growing up, is mills and boons, mills and boons, then you watch junk stuff on TV and so on, you're squashing the appetite you have. For the word of God. But the deeper you get into the word, everything changes. Amen? Amen. 
God wants to do something with regards to our appetites. Praying is no longer a discipline or a chore when you have an appetite for it. Reading the word is no longer a discipline or a chore when you have an appetite for it. I remember at, I was at boarding school and I remember as a teenager being so hungry. In fact, I was still about 12, the year I turned 13. I still remember my Good News Bible. It was full of sand. We would go out in the bush. We would read it so much. We used to have rest time. You know, rest time, I think they should reinstitute it because our kids are so active, right? Rest time is when, you know, after lunch, we just go and we have a bit of a nap. But anyway, yeah, we've started doing that from time to time at home. Oh, and there's so much peace at home when we do that. Anyway, <laughs> but during rest time, I remember just sitting and devouring my Bible. And the more I read, the, the appetite would increase. Sometimes I would have been feeling hungry in the natural, but after reading the word and munching it, I physically got full. I don't know what was going on. I can't explain it scripturally, but it was as if my physical hunger just went away because I was now munching the word of God. God is doing something with our appetite even right now as a church. We want to have to be saying to people, please come to Ignite. It's an extended time of worship and prayer because you'll have an appetite for it. Many people don't. Many people don't. The book of Psalms, 145, Psalms 145, verse 15 to 16. I want to show you that there's so much goodness in God that you can have an appetite for. It says here, the eyes of, the eyes of all look to you and you give them their food at the proper time. Some of us like food at improper times. But anyway, um, the eyes of all look to you and you give them their food at the proper time. You open your hand. This is God. This is what God does. You open your hand and satisfy the desires of every living thing. There's a shift happening right now where some of you have been looking to people to satisfy your desires. Some of you have been looking to material things to satisfy your desires. But God himself satisfies the desire of every living thing. And there's a shift happening right now where he's repositioning us to look to him as the source of our satisfaction. So we need to run to him. We need to run to him. Look at the book of Psalms 31 verse 19 to 21. Psalm 31 verse 19 to 21. I love this. How abundant are the good things that you have stored up for those who fear you. They're good things that God has stored up for you. You might not be experiencing them right now, but I'm telling you they're good things God has stored up for you. And my decree over each person in this room right now is that whatever God has stored up for you is coming your way. There's an acceleration I announce over your life that the good things he stored up over you are coming your way. How many of you know that the devil also has bad things stored up for you? And some of you have been participating in the bad stuff stored up by the enemy instead of the good stuff stored up by God. We speak and we announce a repositioning that you will be tapping in 
and aligned to the good stuff God has stored up for you, not the bad stuff the enemy has stored up. God has strategies and plans for your life, but so has the enemy. And that's why we can't run away from spiritual warfare. Amen? Amen. So I don't know about you, but I want to find out what's all this good stuff God has got in store for me. That's what the Bible says. How abundant are the good things. So when God blesses you, don't be shy about it. Because the Bible here is saying, how abundant are those good things. For some of you, you've settled for an ordinary life. You've settled for average. And you've accepted it. And God has given you according to your level of faith. You've just said, ah, Lord, with me. Ah, no, me. People who are born my side of the railway track. No, 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 no. This is what we settle for. No. When I read the Bible, it says, how abundant are the good things, not bad things. So don't come to me when something bad happens in your life and say, it's from the Lord. No. Bad things happen to good people and then God can use those bad things. But don't say to me, God sent the bad thing. Are you hearing me? We live in a fallen world, so bad things happen to us, but God can turn them around for good. You see, the moment you start saying, maybe God just wanted me in this terrible situation to teach me a few things. The moment you say that, guess what happens? Faith is tossed out. Because you see, if I'm in a situation when I'm, where, where I'm employed, unemployed for a long time, and I'm like, maybe God has just put me in this situation. How can I be thinking that and at the same time saying, God, give me my breakthrough. God, give me my breakthrough. Lord, I want a job. The double-minded man, the Bible says, is unstable in all his ways and should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Amen? Amen. So we see some interesting things here. It says, how abundant are the good things that you have stored up for those who? For those who fear you. The fear of the Lord needs to be in our lives. We need to reposition ourselves. That you bestow in the sight of all on those who take refuge in you. So when I read this passage of scripture, I'm thinking the fear of the Lord needs to be in my life. I need to take refuge in him. Right? Now watch this. In the shelter of your presence, you hide them from all human intrigues. In the shelter of your presence, you hide them. Please receive this. You hide them from all human intrigues. You keep them safe in your dwelling from accusing tongues. How many of you know that you can have two people who have someone accused them? The one person is affected, the other one isn't. You can have two people in the same room who are accused concerning a thing. For the one person bounces off them. The other person is harassed by those words. The Bible tells me here that in his shelter, it says in the shelter of your presence. So it's not something visible. It's not a physical location. It's a spiritual location. When you've repositioned yourself in his presence, in the shelter of his presence, it says you hide them from all human intrigues. You keep them safe in your dwelling from accusing tongues. For some of you, your lives are being controlled right now by accusing tongues. Your lives are being controlled by what? Accusing tongues. People who come and will say, you won't amount to anything. People who come and say, but because you did A, B, and C, that means your life is finished. There's no turning around. 
Let me tell you something. There are many people out there who've been through similar things and even worse than what you've been through, and they turned around. They became better. They didn't become bitter. When I look at this, I want to develop an appetite for his presence. That's where the shelter is. I want to develop an appetite for his presence. That's where the shelter is. Praise be to the Lord, it says, for he showed me the wonders of his love when I was in a city under siege. In the natural, he was going through stuff. His enemies were closing in on him. And he says, God showed me the wonders of his love. How many of you know that God's love has wonders? Come on, you remember the old hymn? The wonders of his love? No, the carol. The wonders of his love. His love has wonders. The way God loves us is wonderful. When we have a revelation of the love of God, it's amazing what happens to us. My question to you is, to what extent do you meditate on the goodness of God? Remember, biblical meditation is about filling your mind with His Word. Eastern meditation, which is unbiblical, is about emptying your mind. And that's one of the quickest ways of attracting demons. You create a vacuum effect, and you're just like, I'm blanking on my mind. So those of you who go to some of those sessions and people say, don't think about anything. Just clear your mind. Blank it out. I'm like, what spirit are you carrying? And what are you going to put in there? Right? God has called us to have a renewed mind and we do that by meditating on his word. Biblical meditation literally means to utter and to mutter. So it's about speaking his word, saying his word and getting it into us. Amen? And so I find it interesting because it talks about how God showed me the wonders of his love when I was in a city of a city under siege. You know what my question is? What was the life of David like before he had seen the wonders of God's love? It seems like there was a turning point here where he had a revelation of God's love and the wonders of his love. What is your life like when you have a revelation of the wonders of his love? So my question to you, I'm going to ask it again. Has the word of God become boring to you? Are you the kind of person who's got such an appetite for watching a soccer game and you can sit there two hours, you're watching, you've been listening to the commentary in between the game and everything and you're absorbed. I'm a soccer lover. I do that. But I have to ask myself, is my appetite for his presence? Is my appetite for prayer? Is my appetite for his word incomparable? To the appetite I have for watching a soccer game. If I look at many Christians' lives, if I can be honest, if we can be honest about it, we've developed appetites, artificial appetites, for all sorts of things. And God right now is shifting us to have an appetite for His stuff. Amen? Amen. Any excuse to pray, you're there. Any excuse to read His word, you're there. When people say, can you say grace for us? It's not just limited to, oh, Lord, bless the food. We've rushed through it. You feel, oh, there's another opportunity to just connect with my father. You're hungry for him. Now, what I find interesting is very often we don't develop an appetite for the things of God because we're looking at other sources to fill us. Psalm 33 
verse 10 to 32. Very powerful passage here. It says, The Lord foils the plans of the nations. The Lord does what? They can discuss things in parliament. They can try to come up with certain bills. But as intercessors, God has called us to pray strong prayers that foil the plans of nations. Are you following? That foils the plans of nations. It says the Lord foils the plans of nations. Now we know that God works through us. He works through us. He works through our prayers. He's given us dominion on the earth. And he says, you guys go and pray strong prayers and I'll go and I'll foil the plans of nations. Things that are not going according to my plans. Amen? He's given us that authority. The Lord foils the plans of the nations. Most Christians, what do they do? They hear about the plans of nations and then they complain about it. But when I read the Bible, it says, the Lord foils the plans of the nations. He thwarts the purposes of the peoples. But the plans of the Lord stand firm forever. The purposes of his heart through all generations. I want to develop an appetite for that. Verse 12. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. Nations who've said, God, you are our Lord. Universities that have said, God, you are our Lord. The Bible says, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. The people he chose for his inheritance. How many of you believe that you've been chosen by God? You know when you look at that word chosen for his inheritance? Very powerful. Very powerful. It's the same concept we see in 1 Peter. You know where it says you're a chosen people. It's a very powerful word that literally has two, two joint aspects to it. It's about being picked or gathered out of a larger group. Amen? So it's when God handpicks you, but it's for a particular purpose. So it says, blessed is the nation that has been chosen by God as, in, as his inheritance. Extremely powerful. You're God's inheritance. That word inheritance speaks of property and possession. You're a chosen possession. You're a chosen treasure of God. How many of you know that if you've got something that is priceless, what do you do? You look after it. Amen? That's how God sees you. And when I start having that revelation and I start renewing my mind accordingly, my behavior changes. My attitude changes. My faith increases. Because I know that, wait a minute, I'm not praying as just some arbitrary person in the corner. I'm praying as his chosen treasure. I'm, I'm praying as God's inheritance. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people he chose for his inheritance. From heaven the Lord looks down and sees all mankind. From his dwelling place he watches all who live on the earth. He who forms the hearts of all, who considers everything they do. God considers everything you do. Now watch this. No king is saved by the size of his army. Now what do kings have an appetite for? Let me have a big army. Let me buy more jets. Let me spend billions of rands buying jets and increasing the size of my army. Doesn't matter what the hell 
system is like, let me just do this. They have an appetite. Kings have an appetite for a big army. But what does the word say? What does the word say? No king is saved by the size of his army. No warrior escapes by his great strength. Let me just get stronger. No warrior escapes by his great strength. A horse is a vain hope for deliverance. I know when my bank balance is like this, then I'm set. Then my wife will be happy and my kids will be happy, then I'm set. When we live in that estate, oh, then we'll have peace. The kids will be happy, my wife will be happy, everyone will be happy. No. Some of you are earning way more than you used to, but you and your spouse are fighting way more. But when you are building up that wealth, what were you thinking? Once I get this, then she'll be happy. Once I get that, then he'll be happy. You had an appetite for things that do not save. That's where we're deceived. Because we work day, day and night pursuing something. This phantom. And once we get it, we think it will solve all our problems. And we're like, oh, things are worse. No warrior escapes by his great strength. A horse is a vain hope for deliverance. Despite all its great strength, it cannot save. But the eyes of the Lord are on those who fear him. I want God's eyes to be on me. On those whose hope is in what? The strength of the horse? The size of the army? On those whose hope is in his unfailing love? The wonders of his love? If you believe in God for something, if you believe in God for some breakthrough, I encourage you, meditate on the wonders of his love. Agree with the wonders of his love and you'll see what will happen. To deliver them from death and keep them alive in famine. How many of you know that there's spiritual famines? I mean, you know that when we speak of famine, what are we talking about? Extended periods of time where there's nothing to eat. Right? How many of you know that God can keep you alive in times of famine? The economy can be going down, but you're going up. Yeah. Everyone else in your industry can be like, ooh, I've had people come to me from time to time. Colleagues of mine in the same industry as me. Paul, it must be tough, eh? Are you also feeling poor? And it's like they want to put their stuff on you. I'm like, no, it's actually really fine. It's actually getting better. No, Paul, eh? It's, it's re- you're sure, because you know how it is. How what is? I'm not experiencing what you're experiencing. Amen? God has his economy. A nation, your industry can be in famine. That's not your portion. Unless the confession of your lips is, we're all going through it, eh? It's really tough, eh? It's tough for all of us, eh? And you think you're being empathetic. You know the industry, eh? It's really tough. Is everyone in your industry struggling? No. There's an opportunity to clap, but anyway. (laughs) May your unfailing love be with us, Lord even as we put our hope in you. God, may you do a deep work in our hearts, even from today, where we develop an appetite for the wonders of your love. 
an appetite for your presence, an appetite for your power, an appetite to walk in your glory, an appetite to see the spirit dimension at play in our lives. And may you squash out, dissolve, disarm the appetite we've had for other things that cannot save. Now, what I find interesting is there are other appetites. Can we go there? All right, Philippians 3, verse 18 to 20. Philippians 3, verse 18 to 20. For as I have often told you before, and now declare even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is there. Their God is their belly. That's, that's, that's very interesting language being used there. Their God, what's a God? Your, something you worship. Your source. Your sustainer. Their God is their belly. And their glory is there, is in their shame. Their minds are set on earthly things. That word set speaks of being fixed. Do you ever have when your kids come and they're just fixated with something? Mommy, I want this. Mommy, I want this. No, I have to have this. No, I have to. I have to have this. Right? The children of Israel were like that. The cho- I'm going to show you just now. I'm going to show you just now. You'll see. Their minds are set on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. I know of a particular pastor, one of the policies they had in their household was if ever they felt they were getting too emotionally attached to a material thing, they would give it away. Because it means the stuff was starting to have them, instead of them having the stuff. My question to you is, what's your relationship with money? What's your relationship with food? Those are the two things we're going to talk about as I draw towards the close. But just keep that at the back of your mind. Do you tell your money where to go or does it tell you what to do? How many of that we can be controlled by the spirit of mammon where we're no longer the ones telling our money where to go? Where you say to someone, yeah, I really want to bless you. Yeah, next week. Yeah, next week I'll give you the cash. I really want to bless you. Yeah, I've had you on my heart. Week goes by and what's happened to that cash? It's told you what to do with it. The spirit of mammon. The spirit of mammon instructs. It entices. And after a while you're like, what did I do? What just happened? Where did all my cash go? It just went. Where? It, it, it went. <laughs> On what is your mind set? What do you think about? We have to have God speak to us. The Lord spoke to me recently and he says, he said to me, look after your body so you can look after my body. I remember sharing that with Tumisa and Lena and they were like, oh, that'll make a good song. Look after your body. Look after your body. Right? They did. They said that. I mean, they sang much better than I do, but they said it. All right? Lord spoke to me about that. Because once this goes, it's your ticket out of here. And let me tell you something. There are a lot of skinny people out there who are very unhealthy. 
So don't go start looking at people and saying like, oh yeah, I think pastor is talking about you. <laughs> there are a lot of skinny people out there who don't eat healthily. They've got worms. They eat a lot and then the worms just eat up everything. So don't, I'm not talking about judging people externally. I'm talking about the motive of what we do. Are you following? Now, I've been through it recently. I think it happens as you get older. Things that you could get away with in the past, you can't get away with anymore. How many of you are feeling me on that? Yeah. Hey? When you're in your 40s, like some of us, I remember going onto the scale the other day. It was just after the holiday, or just towards the end of the holiday, tail end of the holiday. I know some of you have been avoiding scales. And I remember getting on, and I'm thinking, no. Ah, I think it's with all the rain I think maybe it's the dampness or something Maybe we need to get a new scale Maybe we should get one of those digital ones Ah, Am I reading it properly? Lord, I pray that I'll break records But not not in this department Amen So I'm there And I realized Just after a few weeks Of watching certain things That I was eating Just started losing kilos just watching certain things still enjoying my meals don't get me wrong but not overdoing it ladies for some of you every day oh my husband likes me to fry just fry it Ooh, it tastes so nice Ooh, it tastes so nice but you're the one in five years time who will be complaining with the medical bills why am i speaking with such force concerning our health lord spoke to me and says that the enemy's strategy is to kill some of the people to actually kill them because of this thing we're talking about today. And some of you have come from backgrounds where you don't, you've distinguished and you've differentiated spiritual things to things like, from things like eating and so on. No, it's all yes. together. Yes. All together. Everything is spiritual. Now, Philippians 3 was very powerful. Have a look at 1 Timothy 6, verse 7. 1 Timothy 6, verse 7. For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. When you get nice things, just remember that. It's not going to go to heaven with you. How many of you know that how you are positioned speaks of your relationship with something? How you're positioned towards something speaks of your relationship with that particular thing. Some people say, ah, but I don't have, I don't drink that much X, Y, Z. But what's your relationship with that particular thing? Is that thing your source of, if I just take this, then I just feel peace. But I know in scripture it describes Jesus as the Prince of Peace. So why am I now looking at other things as my Prince uh, prince of Peace? How many of you know of a guy called Seneca? Seneca. He was a Stoic philosopher. Actually in the time of Jesus. A Roman guy. He used to advise the Emperor Nero. Right? And he said something interesting. He says, The pleasures of the palate deal with us like Egyptian thieves who strangle those whom they embrace. <coughs> the pleasures of the palate. Palate? What you taste with? Deal with us. 
like Egyptian thieves who strangle those whom they embrace. Now, the following verses that I'm going to just wash you with speak about this whole topic, right? And they highlight how we should be positioned firstly with regards to food. I'll talk about money as I close, but food first, all right? Proverbs 23, verse 20 to 21. Be not among drunkards. I know some people who've rescued their marriages because they've chosen wisely and moved out of certain friendships. Be not among drunkards or among gluttonous eaters of meat. Now, if you look at these ancient writings, just read the whole of Proverbs, and you'll see that very often when they'll talk about drunkards, in the same sentence they'll talk about gluttonous eaters. Two things. Are you following? Okay. Be not among drunkards or among gluttonous eaters of meat. For the drunkard and the glutton will come to poverty. And slumber will clothe them with rags. Don't be enslaved to food. One of the things my wife has taught me is with all the workshops I do and so on. Or if I go to a restaurant and I have to, I'm, I'm, I'm paying. Just tell them what you want. If they say it comes like this, just say, I'll have it, but I don't want this, this, and this. Because you know it's not good for you. Now, some of you don't like to come across like you're being difficult and so on. But it's your body. Yeah. And you're the one paying. Yes. I made a decision the one time with a particular business school that I do quite a lot of lectures at. If you keep going there all the time, and they've got this wonderful spread, desserts, everything. At a certain point, I just made a point that, you know what, I actually don't have to have the dessert. I can just eat the food and so on and, be, and choose what I want, but I don't have to have the dessert. Amen? It's interesting in the Hebrew, the Hebrew meaning of glutton is one habitually given to greedy and voracious eating. Gluttony, gluttony was associated with stubbornness, rebellion, disobedience, drunkenness, and wastefulness. How many of you know that your eating will affect your sleep? How many of you know that your sleep will affect your prayer life? I was chatting to a friend of mine, Pastor Chooks actually, and he was talking about some extended hours of prayer that he was going into, and he actually said to me, "Not, I have to actually adjust how I eat, especially in the evening, as I go into this particular thing. If we want to build an appetite for the things of God, we must not be enslaved to certain foods. And for some of you, like, no, but I cannot do without that Coke of mine. It's like you've got this relationship with Coke. Like, <laughs> I love the organization Coke. I've taught managers from Coke and Coca-Cola. They're doing great things, philanthropy and so on. But the normal classic Coke, it's not healthy. And they also know it. That's why they're now coming up with zero sugar. <laughs> yeah, my wife is telling me, which is also not healthy. It's the one people to think, hey, Paul, you've gone extreme on us. Okay? What does the word voracious mean? Craving or consuming large quantities of food. A voracious appetite. Some of you are emotional eaters. Where instead of running to Jesus, who's your prince of peace, you go to the fridge to comfort yourself, but you're killing yourself. I'm just being obedient to what God told me. He said, tell them that. The enemy wants to kill them. The enemy doesn't want them to be effective. They're called by God to do great things. And God wants you to be healthy. Amen? Amen. 
If you want to reposition an area in your life for all of us, we have to reposition ourselves in our relationship with food. And you see, back in the day, a lot of the things they had were whole foods, whole grain, and they were fairly healthy. A lot of their food was healthy. So their focus tends to be, don't have too much of it. But nowadays, for us, there are just certain things we shouldn't even have. Because of what's in it, the poison that's in it. Don't be enslaved. Don't be enslaved. I say to my wife, often she says, you're so flexible. Thanks for being flexible. She says, what would you like? Whatever you give me, my precious. You're so flexible. And I say to her, I'm not beholden to food. I can go anywhere. I can go to a rural area. I can go anywhere. Five-star hotel, rural area. I can eat what's presented to me. I'm not fussy. Some people are like, no, but mine has to be deep fried. It must be. Ah, because, oh. Why? Someone called Monica Furlong once said, what I like about gluttony, a bishop I knew used to say, is that it doesn't hurt anyone else. Have you noticed that we've got this mindset that as long as I'm not hurting anyone else, it's okay to hurt myself. But how many of you know that you don't belong to yourself? My body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. I belong to Him. Proverbs 23 verse 2 says, And put a knife to your throat if you are given to appetite. I'm just reading the Bible. And put a knife to your throat if you are given to appetite. Psalm 78 verse 18 says, They tested God in their heart by demanding the food they craved. Talking about the children of Israel in the wilderness. Deuteronomy 21 verse 20. And they shall say to the elders of his city, This our son is stubborn and rebellious. He... He will not obey our voice. How? He is a glutton and a drunkard. It's so important, parents, to make sure your children obey your voice. The voice of the parent is so important. If I tell my kids something once and then it's delayed obedience, for me it's a big issue. Because delayed obedience is disobedience. Amen? 1 Corinthians 6 verse 12. Some of you are thinking, but Paul, you're going extreme on us. Paul, you're going extreme on us. Well, 1 Corinthians 6 verse 12. All things are lawful for me. So is it saying it's a sin to have a Coke? No. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be enslaved by anything. So if someone tells me that, you know what, Paul? Chicken is fine. Have your chicken, but remove the skin from it because it's got very, it's very fatty. Is it a sin if I eat the skin? It's not necessarily a sin, but you know what? It's not really helpful. And I don't want to be enslaved at, oh, but I love, oh, but that, that skin, oh, chicken skin. I'm not beholden to anything. Are you hearing me? There's a French proverb that defines, that talks about a glutton. It says, a glutton, one who digs his grave with his teeth. 
one who digs his grave with his teeth. In the words of Peter de Free, gluttony is an emotional escape, a sign that something is eating us. May God help us. And finally, how will you relate to money this year? We're talking about repositioning ourselves so that our appetite is for God. And we're talking about getting out of a wrong relationship with food, which I'm sure most people in the room can identify with. There's no one who's perfect. Amen? Amen. Right? And then we're going to talk about, in closing, having a right relationship with money. With money. Right? Matthew 6 verse 24 says, No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And you know how it manifests? I've noticed even in church settings, people can say, cannot say no to their boss at work. But when it comes to church things, activities, duties, and so on, it's kind of like, oh, no, I couldn't. Ah, last week, ah, you know, yeah, because I had to stay on at work. Ah, no, but I had to stay on at work. But they'll, they'll leave early. You know, church meetings and things like that. It's like, hey, work. What's going on there? Mark 4, verse 19. But the worries of this life the deceitfulness of wealth, it's very deceitful, and the desires for other things come in, and what do they do? They choke the appetite you have for the word. It says they choke the word, making it unfruitful. Some of you are hearing what I'm saying right now, and for those of you with an appetite for the word, the word will be fruitful as you go from here. Those of you with low appetite for the word, like when is he going to finish, when is he going to finish, and you'll go and you've forgotten everything that's been said. Why? It's been choked by the other things. Proverbs 11, verse 28. He who trusts in his riches will fall, but the righteous shall flourish as the green leaf. Don't trust in riches. Ecclesiastes 5, verse 10. Whoever loves money never has enough. In other words, you're never content. You notice that? Whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. This too is meaningless. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17 to 19. Instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited. The word conceit means to think of yourself more highly than you ought. And many people are like that. They've got a higher estimation of themselves than they ought. Instruct those who are rich in this present world, not to be conceited or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. So is it saying you shouldn't have things? No. It's saying your trust shouldn't be in the things, but your trust should be in God who averagely supplies? No. Who just, we just make it all the time? No. He richly supplies to us all things for what? Just read it there, Christians, religious people. Read it. All things for our? So is it okay to enjoy stuff? Okay. So don't feel guilty. 
and it's more blessed to give than to receive so you enjoy it even more when you actually are free like this you've got an open hand and you can actually give stuff away okay instruct them to do good to be rich in good works to be generous and ready to ready to do what ready to share storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is what life indeed there's a repositioning that god is taking us into where we take hold of that which is life indeed some of you you sit and relax i've done it before when i'm somewhere and i'm feeling so comfortable no worries and I'm like, ah, this is life, guys, you know? No work, I can just chill, I'm hearing the birds. But the Bible here is telling us that we must discern what is life indeed. Because some of the things we pursue are not life. Some of the things we pursue are not life. My final verse, Luke 16, verse 14. Luke 16, verse 14. The Pharisees... What are the next three words? The Pharisees... Right. Ask yourself that question. Do you love money? One of my prayers is, Lord, I don't want a big bank balance for the sake of a big bank balance. My desire is to be a conduit where a lot of finances flow through me to do what I need to do in your kingdom that's what i want i want to be a good steward and that's where the joy is and that's where your work becomes meaningful that's where your work becomes meaningful just remember that the pharisees who loved money heard all this and were sneering at jesus he said to them you are the ones who justify yourselves in the eyes of others but God knows your hearts. What people value highly, this is Jesus speaking, what people value highly is detestable in God's sight. When you value something highly, you have a great appetite for that thing. What people in this nation have an appetite for, very often it's stuff that is detestable in God's sight. Let's pray. While every head is bowed and every eye closed. Maybe you are here this morning and you agree with me. You're saying, Paul, you know what? I've pursued.